Hi, and welcome to this FC podcast, chaired by me, Wanu Sander. Um, I am a senior associate at CM Murray, and I'm delighted to be joined by my panel from this year's IFSI conference. I've got uh, Brian McDonough from Sharing and Lodging, uh, who is a US employment lawyer. I've got Persephone Bridgman-Baker from Carter Ruck, a PR specialist. Uh, Jasvinda Nakwal from Peters and Peters, who specializes in white collar crime. Um, and Jason Massimore from Cobra and Kim, who is also here to give us the US angle from a white-collar crime perspective. So thank you everyone for joining today. Um, and we were just going to discuss some of the issues that came up in our session. We were covering cross-border executive investigations and we were looking at the risks, the strategies um, and reputation issues for senior executives. So kick off, we had a hypo a hypothetical scenario, but for the purposes of this podcast, we want to keep it fairly high level and just discuss some of the issues that a senior executive might encounter when they've been told that uh, an investigation is going to be underway internally. And then we're also going to discuss some of the issues that might come up after um, regulatory bodies get involved or um, criminal bodies get involved. So to start us off, Brian, we've got a senior executive situation where they have been involved or been uh, notified of an investigation, what sort of major sort of issues should be, they be thinking about um, as soon as they've been notified? Yeah, so I think, you know, rep, you know, for as an employment lawyer representing senior executives, you know, from on the legal side, I feel like we're often like the front line, right? Because we, you know, you represent, or, you know, executives throughout their careers and the good and the bad, you know, it might be the negotiating the in deals, it might be negotiating the out deals, contentious litigation, and everything in between. So oftentimes you get the, you know, the first call and, you know, you have a panicky executive, there's, you know, notice of investigation, you know, the first step for both counsel and the executive is to not panic, right? Not, you know, to slow things down to the extent you can try as best you can to get the lay of the land. Um, you know, I never want to see executives carving out hard and fast positions like, you know, refusing to cooperate out, out the gate, yeah. um, you know, kind of cliche things like, I'm not talking without my lawyer present. You know, th you need to kind of really slow down, gather as much information as you can. And oftentimes that becomes the role of counsel because, you know, certainly on the U.S. side, you know, as far as, you know, you're not always presented in the context of an internal investigation with a nice, clean, written report. Here are the allegations. Here's what we think you know, don't know. Here's everything we have. You know, it's it usually doesn't unfold that way. So oftentimes, you know, you know, having counsel involved, kind of working, trying to gather information, counsel to counsel, talking to in-house counsel, trying to get a better understanding is, is the first approach. And the other key thing is not all investigations or allegations are created equal. And, you know, really it's the appropriate legal strategy is in large part, you know, gonna be dictated by the nature of what we're dealing with here. Now in, in our hypo in the, um, at the conference, you know, there was pretty significant allegations of bribery, corruption, money laundering. 
you know, certainly if you're representing the, uh, the executive that is the target of that, you know, my first call is going to be to a white collar person and the strategy in that, you know, to cooperate, not cooperate might be very different if this is somebody who's more, you know, has some knowledge, but is more of a fact-based witness are, are the allegations that, you know, well, this person was aware of it, but didn't necessarily engage in any wrongdoing themselves. So in a large part, you know, the legal strategy might be dictated by, you know, the specific allegations. And then you you raise that point about not having, I guess, a knee-jerk reaction to what the individual might do. It's a serious, in certain cases, serious allegations being made, um, potential ramifications for career, liberty, maybe in some cases, and you can understand why people might uh, want to take particular actions. But as you've just mentioned there, you know, getting white collar crime um, input early stage, really important. And um, you know, when you're brought in at that stage, what sort of considerations are you taking into account in terms of an individual cooperating or not cooperating? Mm. So, um, first of all, I agree with Brian, don't panic. Um, that's the message for the individual. Um, and also the information gathering. So um, one of the considerations is actually how is the executive being treated by the company that's carrying out the investigation? And at that stage, Probably not that much is known or there are bits of information here and there about what might or might not have gone on in terms of any conduct. So, uh, and bearing in mind that a senior executive's status may change as the um, facts unfold. So um, at that very early stage, any fact finding that can be done by those acting for the senior executive through the company, so maybe ask for a pre-pack of information or disclosure of any relevant emails or documents that the company wants to talk to the individual about um, would give a good, hopefully give a good head, heads up um, on, on um, what the individual um, uh, is, want, is wanted to be spoken to about. Uh, and then, as I also say, their status may not be clear. They may be being treated as a witness or someone who has information that would be helpful to the company, or they may be seen as a, a potential suspect um, or someone who may be considered to have been at the centre of any wrongdoing. So for that um, scenario, um, uh, considering uh, it's really important to consider in advance uh, whether any questions are going to be answered um, and on the part of the company, um, their own lawyers should, um, as a matter of uh, UK um, ethics, um, be considering whether the individual needs separate representation. Um, mm. And if they are to be treated as someone who might have um, committed some wrongdoing, then to um, give them that opportunity to take advice, but also be prepared for that person not wishing to, to answer questions that then may incriminate them in some shape or form. So there's a, there are very, various factors to, to balance out here at that first stage. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And Jason, what about from your perspective with your kind of uh, US um, experience and background? Yeah, I guess a, a couple of things. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to suss out at the outset, you know, how serious of a matter this is and whether or not it's going to set off bells and whistles uh, in the DOJ. 
because the DOJ has strict instructions from the very top of the organization to go after individuals, every single individual who was involved, and they'll stop at nothing. So, you know, early on, if you get a whiff that that is that might be a possibility that it's a case of um, high interest, it's a publicly traded company in the U.S., it's in a, it conducts a business in some sort of area that's interesting to the human beings that sit in prosecutors' offices and are looking forward to their private sector jobs and want to make a name for themselves. The, the alerts uh, start going off and you start figuring out how, you know, how this is going to look from beginning to end and then starting to educate the client about the process so you can sort of choose your strategy. Um, I do think, you know, you want to start off appearing very cooperative uh, and sort of making a case to in-house counsel how you can be an asset, but you have to be, you have to be ready for a, a potential knife fight at, at the end. Yeah. Flip. <laughs> Um, and for Stephanie as well, from a, a PR perspective, um, at an early stage, you might not know how it's going to turn out, you know, whether or not you are going to be um, a witness or remain subject. What sorts of um, reputation management issues should senior executives be thinking about at that stage? We spoke about some of the sort of um, high level uh, issues for them to, to look out for. Um, and do you mind, do you mind covering that? Sure. So it's a pleasure when I'm instructed at this stage of the process because it makes it so much easier to try to control the narrative before things are published in the press rather than afterwards, although there are ways and means of doing both. And when somebody is being investigated, if they're being investigated by a public body or in other certain circumstances, um, then they will have a, a prima facie right to privacy and the scope of that investigation and the fact of that investigation. And that's something which at this stage, I'd be trying to keep a very close eye on. It may not bite in the context of a, of a company investigation. If something was leaked to the press and there was some public interest, then perhaps there could be scope for publication. So I'd have an eye on that. At this very early stage, and I think this um, syncs with what the other advisors are saying, I would want to see if there's a possibility to have an aligned approach between the employer and the senior executive. That might be possible at this early stage. And, and as you say, you, know, you don't necessarily know how things are going to go. So if you can both be singing from the same hymn sheet at that early stage of the process, then it can make life easier. Yeah, I can I can see how that would be the case. And um can then move on quite quickly so we discussed in our session how things could change once you do have uh, regulatory bodies involved um, potentially um, you know criminal prosecutions on the horizon um, in a situation where has happened that has changed the individuals become subjects of the investigation and actually pushed to the forefront in, in front of the the regulatory bodies um, the sort of issues that they have to consider and how they approach um, strategy will, will also change. So Brian, once that has happened, would you say that your advice or your, um, your approach to things would, would change as well? I mean, I think if we're at the stage where, you know, this is, you know, reached the point where there's a governmental investigation, I think some of the common themes, I think you want to to the extent you, a lot of times the best thing for the executive is to stay closely aligned with the company to the extent they can. But as we've heard, you know, it might be helpful from a PR aspect or otherwise, but, you know, as we've kind of heard some, you know, there might be a point in time where, you know, you need to start looking out for number one here, right? Um, so, it, it, you know, it, 
like the classic lawyer answer, you know, it really depends, <laughs> you know, um, you know, and there's, you know, you can't black and white, it. you know, cooperation, not cooperation, you know, it comes in many forms, um, you know, and again, sizes and, you know, I never, you know, certainly if I'm having concerns, it, you're never saying no, 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 but it's, you know, hey, well, I, you know, they may want you to do one thing. It's like, well, you know, maybe it's a different approach or different. No, I'm not saying no, of course I'm cooperating. I'm continuing, <laughs> but, you know, kind of, you know, it may look at a point where it's, um, you know, protecting your own interests. And that's sometimes where it depends, like reading the tea leaves, how serious we're talking here, mm. you know. If the prospects are, what is the primary goal here? If you're, if the primary goal is, you know, to keep the senior executive out of jail, you know, freedom, things like, you know, well, what about my millions of dollars and, you know, equity, you know, that might have to take a back seat if your primary goal here is to keep somebody out of jail. You know, there are other situations where, you know, for the executive, it might end badly you know, but it's more about trying to mitigate the fallout, whether it's from a PR perspective, so they can kind of pick up the pieces and move on with their career. You know, if this is a situation where, you know, the employment is being terminated, but then it's a question of, you know, okay, you know, what about deferred compensation? What is already, you know, what is already vested or is on the cusp of vesting? Is there a possibility of protecting that? Yeah, and you mentioned earlier on, you know, wanting to have legal representation, for example. At this stage, is this something that you would personally be pushing for if you hadn't been given it during an... Oh, certainly, if, if we're at this stage, you know, yes, one, pushing for it. Two, for many US, many U.S. executives, a lot of times it might be driven by contract specific. But oftentimes at this kind of stage, it's likely to trigger kind of defense indemnification, whether it's under contract insurance policies or company bylaws um in my experience a lot of point in time that like, it'll be not necessarily at the very beginnings of the internal investigation but certainly by this stage it's likely triggered yeah and, and just picking up on that point about you know sort of reading the tea leaves and then having sort of overarching objective and if that is to i guess leave the profession if it's a regulated profession and, and try and move on to something else um, there might be a question around whether or not that's um, possible. Um, but even while, after they've dealt with the immediate employment issues, they might still have issues with that regulator. In those circumstances where a, an individual is not dealing with their employer, they're now dealing with the regulator, do they have additional kind of obligations um, and issues to be thinking about? In relation to the regulator? In relation to the, to the regulator. So I think yeah. before we were, we were discussing, you know, do we want to cooperate? Is mm -hmm. it going to assist us? But the regulator's involved now. I mean, yeah. we probably have a little less uh, yeah. latitude. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so, yes, you're right. Um, in dealing with the employer, then there are consequences uh, often for not cooperating with the employer um, and which could potentially lead on to dismissal. But weighing up the priorities when it when things become even more serious and there's an enforcement agency involved. Um, unless say um, it's a criminal enforcement agency, then uh, it, it is possible to be um, compelled to give um, uh, to give an interview to be interviewed 
Um, but usually that's if the enforcement agency is, is treating um, the individual more as a witness, but as a suspect, um, an individual does have rights under that process as a suspect. They would have to be cautioned and then interviewed. And in that context, could choose to answer questions and give a full interview, um, could choose to remain silent and give no in, no answers to any questions, or could, for example, prepare a statement um, which is handed over and then no further questions are answered. So there, it very, very much depends on the um, the evidence and also the individual's version of events. Um, and so uh, there are various uh, matters to consider at, at that point, um, and it very much depends on, on what the individual's uh, position is at that point. Yeah, and um, I think it, this might move us on to an interesting point that came up in um, our discussion at the conference around the status of that interview and how someone like Jason, for example, might use that um, in the US to, to assist the um, individual if they're potentially going to be prosecuted there as well. So Jason, I just want you to comment on how you would view uh, an individual being compelled to give a statement um, to a criminal body in the UK. Right. So UK regulator. As everybody might know, you know, in the U.S., it's, it's a lot different. There's an absolute and total right to remain silent. Um, so once um, somebody in the chain has been interviewed uh, under compulsion in the U.K. or in another jurisdiction, that presents an opportunity down the line if you're defending somebody who goes to trial in the United States. Um, if that information somehow comes to cooperators who are assisting the DOJ, that infects their case. And in fact, there was a very famous case a couple of years ago where the traitor's convictions were reversed because the cooperator had gotten um, had gotten um, had gotten to review and, and learn about what the defendant was compelled to say uh, in the UK and, and it ruined the case for the prosecutors. Um, so, uh, you know, what I'm looking for is, you know, at some point I'm assuming, okay, worst case scenario, there is going to be a trial in the U.S. What's that going to look like? And then I reverse engineer sort of strategies designed to absolutely destroy destroy that trial in any way, any way possible, uh, ethically permitted, of course. Ethically permitted. I think, I think I recall you saying that if you are dealing with an elderly potential suspect, you might deal with them in a particular way by making sure that they are, is it last? Or it, well, in, in a series of, of clients who are like family members or have strong personal bonds, remember uh, a choice a lawyer might make uh, is lawyers were all risk averse, but clients have a range uh, of different concerns that, that they're thinking about. And so as Brian brought up, what's the objective? So when you have a group of closely related people, um, you could run in an elderly or a sick defendant. I know this is getting really specific, but you could run an elderly or sick defendant in internationally to U.S. and insist on a, a speedy trial while the others contest jurisdiction uh, and try to get a trial very quickly. It would work in certain jurisdictions. And then you get all the material, all the evidence, everything comes out. And the reason you would pick um, in that circumstance, an elderly or sick person might think this is a rational way uh, to, to, to behave is because at the end, you know, their, their physical conditions are actually going to result in a reduced sentence, maybe, maybe not even serve any time, even if they're convicted. So there would be reasons to do it. Of course, there'd be other reasons not to do it if, if you know, perhaps they don't have a long life expectancy running out the clock and just staying in your home country. So it really depends, but there are, there, 
there's just such a wide range of strategies that that can be considered once once you account for the fact that there's going to be a trial at some point. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, and just to come to you, uh, Persephone, as well, just to, to wrap this all up. So we've you know had the situation where the external regulators um, are involved or um, criminal prosecutors are involved. Um, it's at that stage as well that sometimes information leaks um, and whether or not the individual has been, uh, has done what they're accused of doing, um, they could be tarnished in, in the eyes of the public. And if you're getting involved at that stage, what are your sort of key, what's, what's the key focus? What sort of action can a senior executive take if information is being leaked at that stage? So again, while, an, an ex, well, while anyone is still under investigation, whether that's by a law enforcement body or by a state entity like the police, um, they still have a reasonable expectation of privacy in the fact of that investigation. And there's been a recent case against Bloomberg in that regard um, to try to prevent publication of the details of the case. And that's a case where the claimant's um, name was anonymized, so all of the, the proceedings were, were kept private. And that's something which people should be thinking about in those circumstances where they haven't reached the point of charge, whether there's any pre-publication relief that can be sought um, has to be done relatively urgently. But, you know, these are the sorts of matters where if a leak happens and we find out about it at midday, we can be in court by 4pm having it dealt with or faster if we need to be. Um, and so that's really important to remember up until the point of charge. Now, if an individual is charged with, um, with a criminal offence or if there's a conclusion to the investigation, then that right to privacy doesn't entirely evaporate, but is very likely to fall away quite quickly. Um, and so, again, there'll be very different considerations there about how one deals with the fallout of that um, at, at the point when a charge has been, been um, put in place. Well, thank you, all of you. I think that's been really helpful, just giving us some nuggets um, of information for senior executives to think about if they're caught up in these sorts of cross border investigations. And there are so many different permutations um, of strategy and risk. And we can probably go on and talk about this um, for a lot longer. Um, but we will end it there. Um, and thank you to everyone for listening. Um, to continue the conversation, please do join our LinkedIn IFSI group. Um, we would love to hear and discuss your views further. Um, and last, it's just for me to say thank you to all of my wonderful panelists. Thanks very much. Thank you. Take care. Thank you.